Hey, everybody. What's up, guys? This is Jack Coleman for the Senior Quote Sports Podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, Tim Shanahan, the Director of Marketing and Promotions at MLB Network, as well as a BC alum. So we're going to talk to him and have a good time. So let's get into it. Joined by my co-host, excuse me, geez, Jack Coleman's my left, and we, we got to run with it. The show goes on, no cuts here. Yeah. Tim Shanahan under me. Uh, welcome to him, our special guest today, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, happy to uh, be on talking sports, because that's what I do for a living, and then a uh, little BC too. I don't get the chance to talk about Boston College as much as I'd like these days. It's a good combo. You know, it's fun. There's some BC news that we're definitely going to get to um, in a little bit, but First, we'll just talk, you know, MLB, if you want to explain your role there and, uh, you know, what you do for a living. Yeah, sure. So I work uh, at the network. Uh, we're based at in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey. And actually something that some people probably don't know is that in addition to MLB Network there, we also produce NHL Network. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I've been lucky enough, you know, with my time at the Jets, first out of college, and now in my current role that I've been able to dabble in, uh, you know, baseball football and hockey at this point um but uh baseball has always been my first love so uh it's been great being at the network for the last uh eight years or so now and uh, i work in marketing uh and oversee most of our social media and uh both for mlb network and nhl network so uh, you know i lead our team there in terms of our strategy and what we're doing day to day and how we're engaging with uh with our fans who follow us across our uh, various social platforms that's awesome. I mean, I'm a diehard MLB baseball fan as well. Um, I've spent many a summer nights watching MLB Tonight uh, on the MLB Network, just getting all the recaps of every game. So, uh, huge fan there. But do you, um, have, do you have a do you have a favorite analyst? Favorite person? I was gonna say. I, I, I always have to ask this question to people whenever they tell me they watch. I feel like, oh man, I always go around because I just think it's a great um, group in general. I feel like Harold Reynolds has to be my guy, though. I, I just think he yeah, brings I mean, the most energy. Yeah, um, yeah. but I mean, he's he's been he's been doing it for a long time. Like I, I grew up when Harold was with ESPN. That's sort of what I, you know, grew up with, and you know, seeing him play in the celebrity softball game, and you know, around you know the different events and on baseball tonight all the time. So, so yeah, I mean, he's yeah definitely uh, very popular. But I mean, in general, it's just such a great group, and I mean, that's the half of it. You know, it's on one hand, you guys cover every game that's going on. And I like that better than just watching one of them on, you know, ESPN Sunday baseball, or if I'm watching yes network or whatever, but covering everything and then having all of those guys and they're different. Oh, I, I completely blanked on Eric Burns. I think he might actually be my number one. Okay. Um, yeah. The energy yeah, he I mean, brings everywhere. Amazing yeah. Amazing energy. Yeah. yeah. But um, Jack, how about you? Do you, uh, I don't know if you're, I'm the big baseball guy. Jack's a big basketball guy. But I know you're still, you know, big Yankees guy. So what's your opinion there? Yeah, I mean, again, like I'm usually watching more NBA Network than MLB Network. Um, But, you know, I tune in every once in a while. I don't think I have a necessarily like a favorite guy. Uh, But baseball in general, I think John Sterling has got to be my, you know, radio announcer guy that I go to. Um, I know a lot of, a lot of people up in Boston are not a fan uh, but the little quirks and everything well, that he yeah. does for the Yankees, I, I love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, well, I mean, you wouldn't expect anyone, any Boston Red Sox fans to like Sterling. I think that's just the nature of the rivalry. But I just wanted to ask Tim about this since, you know, the coronavirus and the whole pandemic has been going on. How has day-to-day work for MLB Network changed and what have you personally been up to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's been interesting because, you know, I remember, you know, I'm trying to remember the exact day now. If it was Wednesday, it was March 12th or that Thursday, whatever. I remember the last day, my last day in the office was that Thursday. And that's when, uh, you know, the night before everything had happened with the basketball game and, you know, OKC and everything. And then the next day, all the, you know, all the other sports essentially shut down by that next day. And so that was my last day in the office. And so it's funny. I remember, um, you know, I, I actually have the piece of paper still, you know, on the uh, end table next to my couch here in my apartment. But I had put together a list of like, here's a number of different things we can, you know, work on, you know, knowing that there won't be any baseball and, uh, and you know, various things that we can get caught up on or different, you know, things, whether it's, you know, sharpening our skills in different areas of Photoshop, video editing, whatever it may be, just things we can work on in the downtime. Uh but it's funny because we really haven't had much downtime, uh, you know, with, with our group specifically doing social media, um, we've pivoted so much of our efforts. Um, you know, we're obviously trying to, you know, as, as much as possible, you know, limit, uh, you know, people who are in the building through social distancing and everything. So we've been doing, uh, you know, most of our, we've been doing, uh, right now we're doing an hour of at least night every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, but our talents at home, uh, and then, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, outside of now we're getting ready for the draft, which is next week. So, uh, still up, up until like the past week or so, we really haven't had many people in the office or in the building and everything. We've been trying to do everything remotely. So, uh, and, and so because we're not doing so much on air right now, it's shifted a lot to digital. So we've been doing, you know, as I mentioned to you guys before, you know, we started that, uh, you know, we've been doing, you know, work pretty much, you know, every day we've been, you know, taping two to three digital shows um, within video conferencing platforms and posting those on social. So it's, it's really become for, for our group uh, a lot busier than I ever thought uh, we were going to coming in. And so it's been in a lot of ways, um, you know, with, you know, kind of the way work is now. And then also just with, you know, some of the challenges that, uh, you know, our country's facing right now. It's been, you know, one of the more interesting times, you know, in my eight years at MLB Network and made probably the most challenging in terms of adapting what we're doing and then also, um, you know, understanding, you know, sort of the world we're living in right now. Yeah, totally. And I completely forgot that. Honestly, I forgot it was June. You know, it's just that's how it's been, you know, being in quarantine mm-hmm. and whatnot and forgetting what time of the year it is. But that means, like you said, the draft is coming up. It's March 51st. I've been saying that. We have not moved on. It really is. But I was going to ask, how do you think teams are going to approach this draft without having seen, you know, college baseball take place this year? So that rules out pretty much half the draft pool, at least based on their 2020 performance. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they've, you know, they've, they're limiting the draft this year to five rounds, um, right. you know, as opposed to, you know, it's much longer than that normally. So, yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate part is, you know, you are going to have some players who you know, won't get drafted this year. And I think it'll make the post draft very interesting in terms of, uh, you know, which players may get signed or whatever it may be, but yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, it's uh, Jonathan Mayo, who's uh, a draft ex- expert for MLB.com and, you know, he's on our coverage next week. One of the interesting things he was saying, actually, I should, this was Jim Callis, I believe, who, uh, who was a couple of weeks ago, was also part of our coverage. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, he was on MLB Tonight. And one of the things he was talking about with how, you know, everything is being affected this year is one of the things he said is it might actually have 
more of an effect on next year potentially mm. because you said particularly with your with your high school kids a lot of a lot of those kids seem to get seen uh through the summer showcases and even your college players playing in leagues like the Cape Cod yeah. League and NECBL and different leagues like that throughout the summer so a lot of players that's sort of where it's like you know at that time that's when they need to be you know playing at their best in terms of draft status because they have scouts and all these leagues all summer um, and watching these different summer showcases. So that was, you know, I think the most interesting thing I've heard so far about it and that, you know, it hadn't really registered to me is it actually might be a little delayed in terms of, you know, what sort of effect, you know, everything that we're going through may have on, on the draft is actually maybe the next one. Yeah, that's a very I, good point. Yo, I, I had done a article for the Heights um, in a class I was doing talking with some of the spring athletes and mainly coach Gambino for BC baseball and some of his own athletes. And he was, you know, kind of talking about this weird year because the draft had been changed and because now these guys have an extra year of eligibility, it's going to be quite a toss up next year in, into like who's coming back, who's staying. We're essentially getting two freshman groups coming in as well, which is yeah. something that's crazy. Right. Um, but you know, for BC, which is like a, school that isn't one of these top ACC. I mean, it used to not be, they're getting up there now. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty beneficial for them. I mean, that's a fair take. We'll, we'll just have to see as well. I mean, every single school is dealing with not having played this full season. How are they going to, you know, how is that going to affect these teams coming back into 2021? And I think the eligibility for spring sports might be getting renewed kind of up in the air still on that. I don't know if there's a full decision, but that affects it as well, yeah, whether I'm, these seniors I'm, get to stay I'm or not. Sure is. Okay, so there you go. So it's going to be a very strange year. And the other thing is, like, think about the guys who aren't at a big-time baseball school who are kind of the standouts on their team. Having that extra year of eligibility, you know, maybe a guy does want to come into the ACC now and play baseball for your UNCs, your Dukes, or even BC. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, my next question uh, for Tim is going to be about the draft – from MLB Network's point of view. So similar to how, you know, we saw in April, the NFL Network and ESPN, how they handled the NFL draft. Are we going to see a similar virtually hosted um, broadcast for the MLB? Sure. Well, as far as uh, our personalities and stuff, we'll all be in studio at MLB Network um, for that. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it, it'll really, for the most part, be uh, if you need to if you're on air essential, you'll be there. But otherwise, you know, well, like all the work we'll be doing from social media, um, will be all done from home and everything. Uh, but yeah, you know, it'll be, it'll be similar in terms of we have cameras set up uh, in about, I think, 23 or 24 uh, players' houses um, or wherever they live. So yeah, so it'll be, a lot, it'll be a lot of that. But yeah, we'll be in studio, which will be nice and, you know, sort of refreshing. But it's interesting because it's, uh, you know, we came into this year, you know, for the last 10 years, you know, since MLB Network started, the draft had been in Studio 42. Uh, our you know big baseball diamond studio yeah. which is a lot of fun by the way uh so you know for the last 10 years it had been there and then this year the expectation or the plan was that it was going to shift to omaha um you know to be there to have the draft there during the college world series so so oh, it's been yeah. interesting because we knew it was going to be different this year but of course it's taken on a whole kind of different kind of different yeah uh, and the fact that it's you know going to be pretty much virtual um you know and everyone at home having you know no one really there together but yeah i think the you know the things that are you know obviously aside from that difference i think uh one thing to know for the network this year is that uh in the past years we had really just done night one 
Um, and we, night two had been exclusively, or day two had been exclusively to .com, but this year we're taking all five rounds, so we'll have uh, you know coverage starting, you know, draft starting that next Wednesday at seven o'clock, and then uh, following up on Thursday with day two at five o'clock. So, uh, so that'll be a you know a new wrinkle for us too, is that we're doing five rounds in the network instead of usually just your one round or your first two rounds and supplemental and things like that that we've done in years past. Right. And I mean, it kind of makes sense considering, like we mentioned earlier, this is usually a 40 round experience where, you know, the first couple of rounds, you'll have some names that people know ahead of time and you're able to analyze on air, but then everything else is just through that radio broadcast where the, um, I'm sure it's like deputy commissioner or someone is just announcing every single pick out loud. So it will be a really cool difference. Um, obviously it would have been best if there was no quarantine and we had baseball going on, but at the same time, to see five rounds on TV, that'll be pretty cool. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Is there a favorite moment or maybe like a favorite guest that might've come into the MLB network that you've had in your eight years working there? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, as far as moments go, uh, you know, I, I'm a Mets fan. So, you know, it was, it was, unfortunately it didn't end, you know, the way I had hoped, but, you know, having, you know, basically, you know, I, I'm lucky enough, you know, in the position I have and everything to to go to pretty much every, you know, World Series game. Um, this year, I, I missed a couple for a wedding, and that was the first time I had missed a World Series game in five years. So wow. uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so so that's awesome. And then, yeah, so 2015, when the Mets, you know, they weren't, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but July 31st, they turned into a different team for yeah. you know, for three months. Yeah. which was, uh, which was really cool. I guess it was just like a magical run. And so, uh, you know, to have a front row seat to watching, you know, the team that, you know, I, you know, live and die watching, uh, for five games uh, of the world series was pretty awesome. I mean, it didn't, uh, didn't end well. And yeah, you know, it was cool. You know, I, especially game three, uh, which the Mets won. It was the first world series game to city field. Uh, you had David Wright hit a home run, uh, mm. you know, and then, you know, I had family there too. So, you know, and for some of them, it was the first world series game they'd ever been to. So, uh, so that was, that's probably my best memory. Cause it kind of, it's, you know, it kind of mixed a little bit of, uh, you know, work obviously with traveling for the world series and being so privileged to do that. And then also kind of, you know, marrying that with, you know, my personal love for the Mets and then, you know, being able to, uh, you know, do something, you know, have my, have some of my family there just, you know, made it a really, really complete, and I'm sure we'll hear David Wright in your top five later. Maybe we want no spoilers, but um, yeah. that's a name that, to be honest, I mean, he hasn't played for probably four or five years, but I have not heard in so long. And uh, my best friend's a diehard Mets fan as well. So back in high school, he was always talking about David Wright. I know he has the posters at his house. Um, yeah. You know, easy. We'll see him later for sure. And I'm, I'm yeah, it'll be a good pick. Yeah. Um, so I know we kind of hinted at it earlier, but I do want to get into some of the BC conversation. Obviously we go to BC right now. Tim is an alum. So Tim, tell us about your time at BC. Tell us about some of the sports memories you had there. Um, and then we'll get to apparently our former house resident, uh, that we will be moving into next year. Oh, no kidding. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so my time at BC, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's up for debate, but I happen to think it was sort of a golden era for BC as far as athletics go. Uh, you know, I mean, that was my freshman year was when the year, our first academic year in the ACC. Uh, so we played our first ACC, ACC football game against Florida State that year. Uh, you know, and, and I do, I mean, just that, uh, my freshman year alone, we were first year in the ACC and the football team at that time was, you know, pretty 
Tom O'Brien was the head coach at the time, but it was year in, year out, you know, eight wins, you know, eight, nine wins, seven on a bad year. So it was, uh, so they were very consistent. And then the hockey team, that was the beginning. Uh, you know, they had obviously won the national championship. I think it was 01. So, you know, they were a few years away from having, from just having won. But my freshman year was the beginning of a run where they went to the national championship game three years in a row. They lost my freshman and sophomore year, but then won my junior year. And then that started uh, a three and five years championship run. So, you know, so that was pretty great. Uh, the basketball team, my freshman year, went to the Sweet 16 and then just lost to Villanova. Uh, I believe it was a Sean Marshall goaltending call that was the difference. Yeah. Uh, in that game so uh, yeah and I, I, if I remember correctly I think that night uh, I think I want to say it was a Friday night I was in uh, one of my college roommates dorm rooms and it was BC hockey was playing BU and I'm not sure if it was I, I think it was I think it was in the Frozen Four tournament I think they were beating BU and then BC was playing Villanova for basketball in the Sweet 16 so both games were going it was like a double header it was pretty awesome night but uh yeah so we had uh you know so hockey was obviously great uh you know basketball I mean I believe we were a tournament team all four years um that I was there now it was kind of like each year was a step it was like sweet 16 the first year the next year we we're knocked out in the second round and uh you know we had Jared Dudley there you know for three of my four years I think uh Craig Smith was there my freshman year Tyrese Rice was the same year as me um, so I think our senior year uh, the basketball team had made the tournament and I think first round lost to OJ Mayo at USC, if I remember correctly. So, uh, so, you know, all, I mean, and even, even baseball, you know, to some, and, you know, I think for a lot of, you know, the sports that, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, some of the sports that are really great now, like, like, you know, women's lacrosse and field hockey and women's hockey, um, you know, I think some of those sports too, they started like, that was kind of the beginning of when things changed for those programs, when they got into the ACC and it was tougher competition. And I remember I used to call a lot of, uh, I worked for WZBC for the sports radio station and did, you know, called some games for bceagles.com for, uh, did some PA for, uh, for the athletic department. So I was, you know, kind of, you know, knew all the sports pretty well. And I called them in some varying degree and like field hockey. I know like Maryland was a, powerhouse if I remember correctly in that time and so I think being able to get into a conference with teams like that really helped elevate in terms of being able to recruit and things like that um, and then you know my my favorite sport baseball I mean that was you know I, I think the program has kind of been up and down over the past you know 15 years uh, since I got there but you know my senior year uh, was you know Tony Sanchez was the catcher he ended up being a number three overall pick that year unfortunately wow. he never you know quite panned out into a uh, a star at the MLB level but uh you know, but that team, that team, my senior year was pretty good. They went to, I think the regionals and they played that game with Texas that went like 25 innings or whatever, oh, yeah. like the longest game in NCAA history. Um, so that was like, I think that was the week after I graduated that they played that game. So there was uh, a lot of good memories. And then like the football team, I mean, Matt Ryan, you know, we went to the championship yeah. game two years in a row. So, uh, you know, Mark Herzlick, my senior year was, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, it was not long after I graduated that he was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. But that year, I mean, I would put his performance that senior year before he got sick with, you know, anything Luke Keekley did in the following years. I mean, wow. he, Mark Herzlick was a, was dynamic that year. Jeez. I mean, that, I, I think the golden generation, yeah, the golden generation title is well-deserved, uh, especially uh, comparing it to what we've had in our two years, you know, where we got two seven and five seasons from Steve Adazio, a disappointing basketball, you know, campaign so far, 
Baseball was looking promising this year, and I actually got to call a game for WCBC the day before uh, we were sent home uh, for quarantine. So I was really happy. That was the first time I got to call baseball. Jack and I have done basketball, football, even hockey. Um, But I'd never gotten to do baseball yet, so I still have the game notes from that. That was really fun, and hopefully next few years we'll have more chances. Well, I got to ask. Now, they have the nice new – I went – actually, I was – I was up last uh, spring for a Red Sox, uh, Red Sox game that we were broadcasting on the network. And so then the next day before I drove back to where I live in Connecticut, I stopped by uh, the new field, which is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I said, so do you guys broadcast from inside that little press box that they have? We do. Home plate? Yeah. Yep. That is, I mean, that's amazing. So awesome. It was awesome. I, mean, I was stunned coming in there because compared yeah. to what we have with Conti, where sometimes you're broadcasting within the booths they have that are set up and they're okay. Sometimes Jack and I did, you know, broadcast from a makeshift like folding oh, table in the sure, corner of Conti for hockey. Yeah. It was terrible. We couldn't see one side um, of the rink really. We, I mean, we could kind of see the goal, but like yeah, the back it. right. It's corner, not the not the booth up top anymore. They were all filled. I mean, the, filled. the booth up top. They filled up for that specific hockey game, and they're like, okay. "Yeah, we'll throw the student radio, you know, in oh, this corner." Yeah, yeah. I was saying, my my time, we never got that. We were always in that booth. We never got moved. Yeah. Oh, the booth usually, is it's usually basketball. <laughs> we've been fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't even get to call a baseball game this year. It by the time it got to my game, we were already home and everything. But I had done a couple of Heights articles last year in there too, so I kind of get it. But it, it's super nice now. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so I was gonna say, so I guess you guys, so. Yeah, you guys didn't have any when there was uh, Pellegrini Diamond at Shea Field. That was no, no. Okay. Yeah, because let me tell. You, so the setup for that for baseball um, was it was a couple different setups. I remember I think my last game that I ever called for WZBC was a, a uh, BC Miami baseball game. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was the day of commencement ball, if I remember correctly. And uh, who was who was on that Miami? Uh, oh, somebody was on. A major leaguer was on. He has money grand all. Uh, was oh, wow. in Miami that year, oh, wow. and uh, yeah. So anyway, our setup for that game was we were we were kind of field level, but we were off on like the third base side a little bit. It was the only time I ever broadcasted from that angle. But every other game I did for for WZBC for baseball, uh, the parking garage uh, right next to where the field was, the ramp that went up. That was where we did the games from. From just like <laughs> on the we just we just had a table up against the side of the ramp, and you would have you know, the friends and family of all the players, you know, like off to our left and right, but it would just be, it would just be, uh, you know, a folding table, our console, a couple of chairs and, you know, whatever the elements may be. Yeah. You know, for that day. Wow. That's ridiculous. That's awesome. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's just cool that that's how you did it. I think it's hilarious, but now, I mean, again, they, uh, shout out to Martin Jarman and that'll kind of lead into our next question, but the work that they did to build the new facilities for baseball, uh, is really promising for what they're going to do for, hopefully some other sports as well. But the reason I bring him up is because yesterday BC hired Pat Kraft to be the next athletic director, um, replacing Jarman who went to UCLA. Pat Kraft comes from Temple. Uh, five years of, you know, again, a lot of fundraising. They raised up the numbers by about 75%, I believe, in terms of donations. And they went to March Madness three of the five years, um, better than BC did in that time. And then football as well really saw an increase. So I'm happy about that. I don't know if you guys saw the news and had first reactions that you want to share, but I'm personally really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't dug too much into, uh, into right. crafts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think across the board, I think, you know, everyone thinks Martin Jarman did a great, 
great job with BC over the course that he was there. You know, you had started to see his name in, you know, ED openings over the past, you know, six to 12 months or so. So, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I remember when he came in, you know, I remember thinking that this is a great hire, uh, but also it was kind of, you know, with the thought that it's such a great hire that he may not be around too long. Because I think, you know, know, I think most – I think most BC fans and hopefully are realistic enough to know kind of where BC stands in terms of, you know, athletics and powerhouses and, you know, in division one sports. So, uh, you know, so I think, you know, even going in, I felt that it was going to be, you know, somewhat temporary, but yeah, he, he did a great job. I mean, particularly what I liked about him is that he was, you know, because everyone always talks about for BC and other, you know, institutions like it, that, you know, you kind of have the balancing act between trying to be a competitive sports, you know, and having competitive sports programs while also, you know, their level of education and graduation rate maintaining, you know, the level of excellence that Boston College is known for. So that was one of the things that impressed me, I think, too, uh, you know, during his tenure is that he was able to raise, uh, the level of the sports programs and, you know, and make some big improvements to the athletic programs without, you know, sacrificing, you know, any of the values that Boston College has. So I think that's what, uh, you know, it's a tricky balance for any athletic director that comes in, uh, but I thought he did a good job with it. So hopefully Craft uh, will, will continue on. Yeah, certainly. Um, what I'm, I was going to say uh, is, or yeah, Jack, you haven't talked yet about this. No, Go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm all on the train of saying that Craft looks like Jeff from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I started tweeting it on Twitter. <laughs> I got some love for it. That's our new stance for, on the podcast. We're, we're he did look a little familiar when I saw him. Right? A little bit. Yeah. Um, but I also saw the picture yesterday of him with uh, Matt Rule, who is also yeah. now an NFL coach. So, I mean, if that's any indication for to why Halfley should be kind of excited, I, I think it's a good hire. Yeah, there was a rumor that Halfley, you know, had some influence in the hire, despite not even coaching the team yet, or not even coaching a game yet. You know, he's obviously been very influential with transfers and with recruiting, and he, again, hasn't even coached a game yet, so pretty impressive there. Um, And honestly, good on BC if they let him, who was probably our biggest coaching hire in a little while, um, have some influence on that decision. And it does seem like we're still going to be very football-centric, which is definitely the way to go. But, I, you know, Jack and I are both big basketball fans and would love to see uh, BC Hoops come up as a result. Uh, Temple fans kind of said basketball, like, didn't improve or decline during his time there. Uh, they just kind of stayed where they were, which isn't bad. But like I said earlier, if he can help bring a March Madness birth yep. again, bring us back to the national championship tournament at least. Uh, that would be awesome. So I, I think it's a promising hire. And – Again, BC is going to be used as a stepping stone for guys like Martin Jarman. Sure. Like you said, it kind of seemed like that from the get-go. But to be able to use a school as a stepping stone and get to a bigger uh, hire, you have to do well at that school as well. So even though it was only a couple years, he really succeeded, in my opinion. And we'll see what uh, Kraft can bring as well. So, yeah. And I'm also not 100% sure on, on this, but I know I talked to you about it. Um, I think he may have made the hire at Loyola Chicago uh, for their basketball coach um, that they were then able to make the tournament. What was that two years ago now? Yeah, Um, it was. So if that's a good indication of what BC basketball could be, that's exciting. Um, I'm also afraid in terms of retaining uh, some of our coaching talent, Joanna uh, McNamee for women's basketball. I think that she might be getting some offers soon too, because she Mm -hmm. did a phenomenal job with this BC team. Yeah, it's a good, uh, very good call. And sadly, probably you're on the money with that one. But again, if BC has these coaches that are raising our reputation, hopefully that follows with another good hire. And it seems like Kraft is 
decent at his basketball hire. So we'll see, you know, what comes of it. So, yeah. So I know we hinted at it, but Tim, <laughs> you lived at 290 Foster. Why yeah. don't you run through everywhere you've lived at BC? Yeah. We've done this with a couple of our BC of course, guests. Yeah. It's always been pretty fun. Yeah. So freshman I mean, year. Yeah, as I say, I feel like anytime you meet someone who, mm-hmm. you know, went to BC at a different time, that's always like, you know, one of the first three questions that comes yeah. up is like, where'd you live? Uh, so freshman year, I was in uh, the North Keys basement at on Newton. Ooh. So as, as it's called the Newton of Newton, because it's yeah. it's a dorm way away from mm-hmm. all the other dorms. But uh, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, for us, and, you know, you have both whole you know upper versus newton debate it's always split because if you love you know if you lived on upper you love upper and if you mm-hmm. lived on newton you love uh, you love newton so uh sophomore year we were in walsh uh, which is still up right it's still yep. oh yeah still hanging around for the time for the time being at least yeah anyway. for now yeah yeah so we were there my sophomore year and uh it was actually interesting so originally in the lottery we had gotten uh, welch up on Coro. Okay. And then I remember I was in Rhode Island. I was at a hotel in Rhode Island, you know, for a summer job. And I got a call at the middle of the afternoon saying that they were going to move us down <laughs> wow. to Walsh. So we, so we walked into Walsh and then, uh, yeah, so that was sophomore year, junior year, you know, two was 290 Foster. Uh, we had, uh, one of the guys, one of my you know good friends and college roommates, uh, was friends with I think I think one of the guys who lives there the year before us uh, he was friends with Holmes that was sort of our introduction to you know we went to 290 Foster a couple times for uh, for events uh, and then uh, and then uh, you know we ended up uh, you know meeting the landlord and you know getting set up there so that was and then to me that was like and so you guys are going to be there next year yep this fall yeah year. this August yep awesome so I mean I thought 290 was like the perfect college house because it was it was a good setup in terms of like layout and everything um you know we ended up doing you know i think we did four guys on the first floor four guys on the second floor yeah i was on the second floor yeah and so everyone had their own room for the most part which was pretty cool and then uh the balcony on the second deck was pretty neat so it was it was a great setup and layout but then it was also uh let's call it broken in enough that Mm -hmm. It was like good, good in that way to be a college student living in that. Like mm-hmm. you didn't, you know, because you know, college students stuff breaks, things yeah. happen. You know, it is what it is. But so I thought two ninety was perfect in that it was a great layout and everything, and that it wasn't you know too too nice where you felt like you were going to ruin it. It was kind of just you know you know aged enough where it felt like it was kind of you know the perfect perfect place to have eight guys living in for a year. So uh, so love two ninety, and then uh, senior year we were in uh, Rubenstein. Uh, C26. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we, not bad. That's not a bad. No, it's, it's pretty like, good. Other yeah. people have had pretty, pretty worse. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, once we got, you know, it was like ever since I got, we got that call saying you're moving down the wall yeah. for sophomore year, we had good luck after that. I mean, you know, I think like a lot of people, um, you know, going into senior year and that lottery, you want to mod because, you know, that's where, you know, everyone goes and everything. But uh, whether it was just, you know, rationalizing it to, make yourself feel better whatever it was one of the realizations that a lot of people come to senior year uh when you know they either spend the night in a mod or they wake you know whatever they're leaving a mod you know late after you know having fun that night is boy that's going to be a terrible cleanup job the next day yep. and so yeah. you, and so you start to rationalize. so you know if you're a senior who didn't get a mod you kind of rationalize to yourself uh you know once the start of senior year happens that's like yeah you know it's probably better off they're not hosting parties with 50 or 60 people you know all mm-hmm. crammed in here uh, because a lot of stuff happens in the mods and it's really gross to clean up the next day. And so we can just, 
we just leave, go back to Rubenstein, and they don't have to worry about it. So that ended up being kind of the rationalization for why that might have been better than the model. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's a I, very I like Ruby. Setup. Ruby's not bad at all. Um, yeah. For for us, Aiden and I were we were upper, we were Gonzaga. Uh, we actually had the sweet uh, four man quad that was on top of like right by the stairs when you came up. So okay. it's like the big layout room. We lucked into that one. It was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, and then this past year we were in Vandy. We had a nine man. So we lucked our way into that. That was terrifying. It was like the last <laughs> day with like a few <laughs> nine and six men. It was right. terrible, but we had a really nice room there this year and now 290. And then, you know, it's all up in the air senior year now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, it's pretty good luck so far too. Yeah, you know, it's no, funny no, though, is, is you're, you're describing where you live on upper means absolutely nothing like oh, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I said i would say i went on i actually went on the upper part of campus like three times that's yeah. crazy yeah well, it's funny I, I know nothing about upper yeah we um we had friends on newton and vice versa so there was a yeah. lot of um back and forth freshman year but at the same time i have friends older than us or even in our grade who are like yeah i don't think i ever went to newton once or yeah, yeah i, I yeah. Why, why would i go to upper so yeah yeah, no, I mean, if I live, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's a bus ride to get to either exactly. place. So especially yeah. if you're on upper, like, why, why the heck would I ever want to, yeah. you know, go to another part of campus and like, yeah. have to take a bus there? So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the bus was always fun. I mean, especially freshman year, it made for, you know, uh, there were there were two sides to it. There was, like, the, you know, 8.50, 8.50 in the morning bus to get to your 9 a.m. class, which was usually crowded and most people hadn't showered. Some maybe hadn't brushed their teeth, oh. and you're all kind of jammed together. So that was that was by far the least pleasant experience of the Newton bus. But then it was also uh, it was it was really fun, and you know to to get you know nostalgic about it and uh, a little sentimental. It was definitely a sense of community on Newton, and the mm -hmm. fact that you know uh, you know hard knock life of having to take the bus uh, you know to main campus and everything. But it was uh, yeah, and also it was great. Like you know if you, if you were taking the bus over for a sporting event. Those bus rides were a lot of fun. They were usually cool. packed. You know, everyone was pretty. That is pretty cool. Whatever game it might be. So there was, there was some really fun aspects to uh, to being on Newton for sure. Everyone always talks about the Newton sense of community, and yeah. meanwhile, on Upper, I mean, we were close with our, you know, our hall, or really just our yeah, floor. That's true. But otherwise, like everyone on there who lived on Newton just mentions community, and I think that's pretty cool. Like my cousin who graduated 2015, maybe uh, lived on mm -hmm. Newton this freshman year and loved it. Uh, so you really, like you said, it's the upper versus noon battle is literally just biased to where you live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in regards to 290 again, though, we are both on the second floor. So Good. that's the floor to be on. Awesome. Yeah. We're, we're going about it Jersey shore style though. So okay. whoever gets there first is oh. getting the rooms. Yeah. So do you have any, any recommendations? Okay. Or, or also any other like weird little things about the house that you remember that are kind of cool okay. um, that you could share. Yeah. So as far as rooms go, so yeah, I, I say second floor is the best because the way we just, and I, I do not remember at all how we divided it up or who got what room. I have no memory of how that all came about, but, yeah. uh, but I just do, I do remember the second floor. We were a lot neater than the first floor. Like the guys down there were just <laughs> most of the year. So um, so we, you know, tried to, you know, do our own thing and make sure we kept things, you know, somewhat classy upstairs. Uh, I do. So the room, uh, the room right next to the kitchen, uh, you know, it's kind of shares a wall with the kitchen. Mm. I, that, if I remember correctly, was the biggest room of the rooms on the second floor. So I think that's the one to, uh, that's the one to snag. Um, 
I had I had the little tiny room. Uh, I don't know how I got that. Maybe because it was the last one up. I don't know. <laughs> but I had the little tiny room that was, uh, you know, if, if you're there's that fireplace in the second floor. Uh, if you're facing that, I was that little room off to the right, uh, that okay. little tiny room. I mean, it worked perfectly fine. But uh, but yeah, so that's where I ended up. And then there was, uh, which yeah, I mean, it's they were all pretty much. I mean, outside of that room against the kitchen, probably being the biggest. Everything else was pretty was pretty similar. I mean the I guess the one that you probably don't want, which went to our roommate Chris, was on the other side from that little living room. There's like the the two office space, like really small office space sort of areas, and so that was kind of Chris's area. So like one half was basically his bed, and there's really not much else that can be in there besides like a bed and a dresser. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of it, uh, separated by the wall, there was he had he had a desk in there a chair and then we ended up putting a basketball papa shot in there oh that's cool uh, which which got you which like a lot of things got used a lot for like a couple of weeks and then yep. kind of fell off but uh yeah so i'd say if, if you could avoid a room that's the one to avoid because then you get right. two, you know instead of having one room you kind of have right one room yeah no we'll, we'll make we'll make sure dan <laughs> just like you had your guy that had that it's like <laughs> i bet in our head we know exactly who that well, is going. well part part of part of it with our thinking was uh was chris for the most chris was from medford mm-hmm. so he was so he would go back he would go home he, he still worked in medford on the weekends so mm-hmm. a lot of times so he was only there like for the most part he'd stay some weekends but Generally speaking, he would be there Sunday night till Friday afternoon. Mm, okay. So that was so I think that's probably where we came with that arrangement. It's like, hey, yeah. you're not here seven days a week, so you get the you get the worst term. Yeah. That's a fair that's fair trade off yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was actually really awesome, and it has me feeling sentimental about school, and like really excited to go back now. Yeah. Um, good. Good. But, I mean, the lucky thing for you guys is that you're on. Yeah. I like one of the first things I thought about when all this happened was I was like devastated when I did my graduation day. Right. Like I did not, I did not want to like, you can ask my family. I was like, did not want to leave BC. I was despondent that day. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm here to say that everything is fine afterwards. Yeah. But, but I, but one of the first things that was like going through my head when they were sending all the students home was I can't imagine. It was like see, my second semester of senior year was probably I, to me, and you know, maybe it was because it was my first semester and my last semester, and so you were kind of savoring it at the end, and really, you know, taking it all in at the beginning. But my first and last semesters of college were probably my favorite two semesters of college, yeah. Um, yeah. and the most fun I had. And you know, second semester was definitely, um, you know, a feeling of you know, kind of savoring the moment and enjoying it while it lasts because you knew it wasn't going to last much longer. Um, but I mean, man, I can I can't imagine if like my second semester senior year was just suddenly go home. You know, like, I, I can't imagine not having, like, seeing, I have so many memories from senior week and so many last time okay. you saw people, some of which you still saw, you know, in the future, some of which you didn't. So, I, I mean, I, oh, that's just tough. I can't imagine having, you know, it not was, been able to really say goodbye yeah. the way the students did this year. It's, Campus no, it was, was it was weird. brutal. Oh, my it, goodness, yeah. We were, I was in Walsh one of the nights uh, hanging with some of our friends, and, like, some of the seniors were just coming in and, like, just breaking down into tears, like, in front of us, and we are like, we don't yeah. know what to even like say to you it was terrible yeah it's yeah i mean it's like that that's senior week is such an amazing time because they have all these events for you every day you're done with classes there's no exams and so it's really just like that last week of getting to hang out with people you have no real plans um you know outside of different events that they put on for the school and uh you know it's a week just to hang out with your friends for the very last time and and there's definitely a feeling of uh 
you know, kind of this is it that I think, you know, is, is kind of going through everyone. And so everyone's, you know, maybe a little bit nicer to each other. And, you know, like understands this is, you know, maybe the last time you're seeing them, whatever. And it gets emotional at times. So, yeah, I mean, and having that taken away is just, I mean, Jeez. brutal. That's awful. I can't, I can't imagine having graduated without having a senior week and without being able to live out the full semester. Yeah. When I mentioned the uh, baseball game I called, uh, my – co-host i guess uh who is mainly the play-by-play was the president or like co-director of the club for that year Mm -hmm. uh, matt satilli awesome guy and he and i were the team for tuesday night games we were the only two who had that in our schedule so he the whole time is saying like aiden that was such a great broadcast can't wait for this to be you know the rest of the year and at that time i was already hearing rumors of like yeah it's gonna like school's gonna be shut down by the end of the week blah 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 and I just couldn't bring myself to even say anything like that to him because in his right. mind, I feel like it was still saying, like, we still have senior year going on, like, blocking out anything negative going on. And uh, I was just like, yeah, like, I can't wait. That was a blast. You know, we won that game. It was so much fun to call. Um, and, yeah, sadly, it, it wasn't to be. But I, I know they want to come back up. I, I think maybe they have a graduation being rescheduled for late summer or early September or something. But it won't be the same, like you said, like senior week, you know, from hearing from everyone that uh, I know who's graduated, it's just such a special time that, you know, yeah. sucks to have been taken away. So before we get into our top five today to finish out everything, yeah. I did have one more question that I, that I wanted to ask about uh, being at MLB Network. So in, in marketing, like what are some of the trends or things you look for on the marketing side that, you know, will kind of bring people in or, you know, be good for promotion. Is there anything in particular that you do or tell, you know, everyone that like people you work with do, um, whether it's like on social media or stuff like that, that they yeah. kind of like pinpoint. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from my you know area specifically working in social media, uh, you know, I mean, things have changed. So like I've been you know, with the network for eight years, uh, you know, my original background when I worked for the jets and then first started with the network was on the PR side of things. Um, and then they transitioned over to marketing and social media, which was a good fit because they're very interrelated. Uh, but I mean, things have changed so incredibly over the last, uh, you know, I started overseeing our social media in 2013. And, you know, at that point, like Twitter and Facebook, you couldn't even post native video to at that time. Mm. Like it was just yeah. links to things. And like, that's how much things have changed just in the last, you know, six, seven years or whatever it is. So um, yeah, so I, you know, I think from, from my standpoint, that's always, you know, kind of what we're always looking for is, you know, you have TikTok now, which has become, you know, the new hot social media platform. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's a lot of it, you know, as far as my job goes is, uh, and, you know, it proves to be challenging as I get older too. I'm 32 now. So, you know, I'm a little more removed from being the demographic that social media platforms are you know, intended for. So, um, you know, so it's, you know, for me, it's always a battle of, uh, understanding a social media platform, uh, what it's intended for, uh, and, and really just measuring what value it can be for us. Uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, we're a pretty small group promoting two different networks. So, you know, a lot of times for us, it's deciding if we see value in it. Um, you know, so Twitter and Facebook are out. We had obviously, have obviously been on for years. Uh, Instagram, you know, we joined fairly early on. Uh, Snapchat, you know, we don't really use all that much. We started accounts, but, you know, and did stuff for a little bit, but then we've kind of 
played off a bit of recent TikToks, you know, TikTok account we started for baseball. Um, so, yeah, so that's always the biggest thing for us is just always evaluating. Yeah, it's, I, I always say it's, you know, with social media, it's still, you know, compared to a lot of other industries, it's still very young. I mean, it's been around for, you know, a while now. And, you know, I think a lot of people are used to it, but it's still young when you think of it on a whole. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things to, you know, to come about, still change. There's, you know, it's always kind of the wild west with new platforms coming up. And there have been plenty of platforms over the last, you know, seven years where, you know, they seemed like they were going to be popular for a second and then they just disappeared. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I remember, I'm trying to remember there was one, uh, there was one platform that we worked with for a year or two. And it wasn't so much a social media platform. It was sort of like a, a TV version of, uh, of Foursquare, if you guys were familiar okay. with that back in the day, of like checking into what shows you were watching. Okay. And that seemed like there were a couple of different companies. Uh, one was called Viggle. And the other was called Get Blue, I think was the other name. And they were both sort of starting to emerge as these places where people could check in and talk about what TV show they're watching and earn points for it for rewards, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And so we worked with them for a little bit and then they both, you know, both fell off in a couple of years and now there's nothing like that really. So, um, so that, you know, that's always the challenge is sort of evaluating what sort of different, uh, different platforms there are. And then, you know, I think from an overall perspective, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, digital is obviously becoming bigger. I mean, you know, you guys are doing a podcast here. That's, Obviously, having uh, in the last couple of years has really, you know, grown a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's always, uh, I think that's the toughest part of the job is just always sort of keeping an eye on what's coming next and what's becoming popular, whether it's a podcast or, you know, whatever. You know, I, I don't know what the next, you know, the next thing might be, but, uh, you know, it's it's always important in our role to just kind of keep a pulse on, you know, what people are doing and trying to, trying to stay with the times. For sure. Yeah, and I feel like that may kind of, uh, for a fun part of your job too, for, you know, always being aware of what comes next, you know, maybe one year is never really like the next for you. Like on what, you know, so, you know, that's, you know, you bring up a great point there because that's, uh, you know, that's, that's something I think about a lot is, you know, I think, you know, when you get out professionally, you want a job that challenges you. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of things, you know, like we talked about some of the things I've been, you know, privileged to do in my time with the network, whether it's, you know, baseball or, you know, or hockey or whatever it's been. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be to World Series, Stanley Cup Finals, Super Bowl. So all that great stuff, which is good. But then, you know, I think, you know, for, for whatever that's worth, and it's worth, you know, a lot to me, those perks are fantastic as a, as a big sports fan. But, you know, really at the end of the day, you know, I think in your job, what matters the most is being passionate about what you're doing, being challenged by it, working with people that you like. And, uh, you know, luckily, you know, I have, I have all three of those in spades. And, you know, to your point about, you know, being challenged and, and things, that's, that's a big thing. Cause you know, I, yeah, I can definitely say that every year that I've been at MLB Network, it's been something new, whether it's, you know, inherent with my job and social media, or it's been, you know, I remember like being in my boss's office and finding out like, Hey, we're going to take on NHL network. It was like, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we've taken on various projects as well, like producing when MLB was doing Facebook games or games specifically for Facebook. We produced those, uh, they've done games. They have a partnership with YouTube right now. We were involved in producing those. So there's always been like a new project for us to do every year. Uh, we worked with, uh, the zone, you know, the new, uh, new OTT platform for sports. We worked with them closely last year on their baseball show. So there's always been a new project going on. And for me, that that's awesome. I mean, you know, I, th- I think you, you know, obviously I think everyone wants things to remain the same somewhat, uh, you know, 
But, uh, you know, but I think being challenged and having new obstacles come up or new challenges, I think is really is great to, you know, keep things fresh and keep you engaged in what you're doing. And that's, you know, and obviously this year's challenge has been like, you know, unlike any other challenge we've had before in terms of, you know, what's happened in the world over the past couple of months. So, uh, yeah, so it's definitely always, you know, always good to be challenged. And that's, you know, I think a huge part of why I've been in the network for, for eight years now. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really everything. No, it's really interesting. Um, I think now is about time to do this top five that we've been hyping. I was going to propose that Tim picks first as our yeah. guest. Mm-hmm. And right. then, Jack, you can choose where you want to pick between two and three. I went first on our last top five. So I'll take the swing. Go for it. All right. I'll okay. pick in the middle. Let's do it. All right. All right. So let's see. Moment of truth. The number one right. pick. All right. So I'm, I'm going to start with David Wright, which I'm Beautiful. sure you, you saw coming a there while we go. ago. <laughs> uh, just, I, I feel like some of the other players on my list are a little older. Sure. So I, okay. feel like, I feel like David Wright could potentially have gotten snagged. But, uh, no, I mean, I love – for me, David Wright was – I mean, he came, you know, he came up with the Mets uh, while I was in high school. He's uh, actually, he's from Norfolk, Virginia. I was born in Virginia Beach, not far, you know, just down the road from that. Uh, I lived there a few times. So I love, he had one of four, one of four boys, which I am too. Uh, his dad was a cop. My dad was in the Navy. So I always felt a lot of similarities with him. And then he just, the way he, I mean, I always, my favorite players are always players who are great on the field, but also just as great off the field. Um, and he was that, you know, hundred percent. So he's my number one. You can't argue with that. Um, for all the similar reasons, except I don't think I can say that I ever watched him play. So this might be going into people on your list, Tim. I'm going with the kid Ken Griffey Jr. as my number one. I just think he could be one of the best players of all time. And just in terms of biggest stars, I think he might be the biggest star baseball's ever had. Uh, Recently, if you know, Tim, about the SB Nation, uh, you know, website or YouTube channel, they do a lot of an analytical videos about just some of the biggest, you know, players in sports. And Ken Griffey, they've done a ton of videos on the Mariners recently. And that just made me realize, like, I had already, you know, really liked him as a player, but just how big he was, you know, in, in MLB and just really in the, in the country, yeah. you know, in the 90s. And just how big he was for the Mariners. I mean, they knocked the Yankees out in a their first ever playoff win in I believe six or thirty years of existing. Um, yeah, he yeah, as I say for you know, for me being a little older, like, you know, I was a kid during, you know, the nineties and stuff. Yeah. And you know, kind of between five and twelve was kind of my, you know, the nineties for me. So yeah, I mean he was he was basically uh baseball's Jordan at that time. Yeah. Um he was by far the most recognizable face. He was a great player. Uh, yeah, and to your point, I mean, they, that, that 95 team saved baseball in Seattle, too. We actually, exactly. MLB Network did an awesome documentary uh, last year on that team. And, you know, it was, it was definitely part about him and, you know, what he meant to that team and that organization. It was also about – it's a crazy story if you if you dive into it. Like, they were not getting the support at all to have a new stadium, uh, which is now, you know, safe – you know, I think it's a different name now. But what was eventually Safeco Field in 2000. Yep. But, you know, at that point, they were getting no support for a new ballpark instead of the Kingdom. And that that team playing as well as they did and getting into the playoffs basically turned the whole decision. It's incredible. Yeah, and it really – I mean, yes, Edgar Martinez played a huge part in that team as well. But Ken Griffey was the star that Seattle needed. And, I mean, baseball yeah. as a whole as well. So that's my number one. Hoping that I could snag Ken Griffey Jr. on this swing right here. So that's a good pick. But I'm going to go with the captain, Derek Jeter. 
I have yeah. to go for him. He's easily been the most influential baseball player as a Yankees fan and in my entire life as a sports fan. So 100% Jeter is going to be my number one there. Um, on the swing here, I think I'm going to go with an, a more classic pick, and I'm going to go with Jackie Robinson, I think. Oh, wow. All-time great. And yeah. all-time was, influential on, on my game. list. Yep. <laughs> I, I think that for me, it really came – uh, who he was as a player really came into fruition when, you know, the movie 42 came out and I really got to see that whole story. And then, you know, seeing some of the, uh, the headlines and who he really was as a player outside of that movie uh, over the years, as I was a sports fan was really inspirational. So Jackie Robinson at two for sure. Good pick there. Um, back to me. And I can say I watched this player play, but another one that really isn't from what we'd say is my era. I'm going to go with Vladimir Guerrero Sr., um, who was just the slugger. Like, I, I have his Expos jersey. Uh, I remember watching him and playing him in, like, what was it, MVP baseball, 05 maybe? Like, I had a very yeah. classic baseball game, and that was my go-to pick all the time. Just so much fun. I remember watching him hit, like, hit the ball after hitting the ground, I think, on a curveball once. Like, that is just a classic moment. In general, he's just one of the most fun players, in my opinion, and now Vladdy Jr. is going to be scary for my uh, Yankees, um, but just one of the best sluggers as well, I think. So Vlad Sr. is my number two. And, and a cannon for an arm. Also. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. One of the best of all time with, with the arm. Uh, so for my number two, and I'm staying down the track of, you know, who, you know, my eight-year-old self loved growing up, sure. or 10, 12, or whatever age. <laughs> uh, my number two is Curtis Martin. Uh, running back for the Patriots and Jets. Um, again, to me, very similar to David Wright. Um, uh, great player, you know, on the field. Curtis Martin's a Hall of Famer. He's, you know, I think I don't know where he is now on the rushing list, but at one point was top five, um, you know, all-time rushing yards. And then, uh, you know, equally as awesome off the field. Uh, I Unfortunately, I, you know, did not get to meet him during my time at the Jets because, you know, I came along after him. But, uh, you know, a lot of people I worked with uh, knew him. Uh, and just had most wonderful things to say about him and say how great a person he was. And, you know, he came from, you know, from a rough upbringing. He was, you know, I think he was in a gang at one point in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and, you know, basically found his way out of that, um, you know, then played at Pitt and then, you know, onto the Patriots and then the Jets. And uh, yeah, again, just another player who exemplified, uh, you know, what it was to be a good person. It was, you know, a great player and a great person off the field as well. And then you get another pick as well because that's the swing. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that's go right. again. <laughs> so so again, I'm basically picking my all-time favorite player from from each sport or each of my go favorite teams. I was uh, this is a little bit of an older one from uh, Mike Richter, uh, the Rangers goalie. I okay. could have could have easily gone Henrik Lundqvist with this also, yeah. but uh, Mike Richter, he was the goalie for that '94 team. Uh, mm. for the uh, for the Rangers when they won the cup for the first time in 54 years uh, you know and you know, I think different from Curtis and you know David Wright because he wasn't you know the best goalie in the league or anything like that but he had a he had a knack for playing uh, his best at the biggest times one of those being uh, the 94 Stanley Cup finals and then uh, backstopped the uh, 96 USA team to a uh, World Cup of Hockey uh, championship so uh, which you know is a big moment for USA hockey so uh, so yeah, he's my he's my number three. Uh, you know, seemed you know from everything I've heard, he's a good guy too. But uh, it was a good play, and just always respected that he played better. You know, he raised his game and had the ability to do that in the best, the biggest moments. Yeah, 
Um, my number three will be in, in a similar similar way, excuse me, uh, Walter Payton, man of the year winner uh, and two-time Super Bowl champion, Eli Manning, um, who just joined Twitter recently, which was awesome. But uh, okay, more importantly, um, I think, I mean, I still have one of those massive fat heads on my wall in my bedroom. So he was my favorite growing up for obvious reasons. I mean, came in, got us a Super Bowl three years into his career and got another one four years after that. So uh, hopefully he ends up in the Hall of Fame. I think he really does deserve it. I, I don't care that he had a career 500 record because that is a team stat in my opinion. And uh, we didn't really have much going on with Jerry Reese in uh, Eli Manning's late career, but just so much fun to watch. Um, so many fourth quarter comebacks and great guy off the field as well. So Eli number three for me. Yeah, I think Eli probably would have made the swing for me too. But in a similar way, I'm going to take someone who really created a lot of great sports memories during some of my earlier years. And I know neither of you probably haven't, but Jeremy Lin, oh, Lin Sanity. Ooh. As a Knicks fan, that is the last good time I have had. Yeah. <laughs> so he has to be an all-time great for me uh, on my list. And I'm going to stick with basketball on this one too. I'm going to pick LeBron James here. I've been a LeBron guy since day one. I never really have hated him, even after the whole decision thing. I didn't care. I loved his time on the Heat. He's one of those guys, again, like David Wright, who off the court is, you know, sure. just as vocal, just as great of a guy. So LeBron James, for sure. Yeah, and I was with LeBron, too. I mean, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for being the best player in his sport, the face of his sport, and being as good a guy as he is. Because, I mean, he's, he's, never, done, he's never done anything wrong. Yeah, never, literally. never heard about any issues with him off the field. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and how many best players, whatever players in their careers have been the, the best player in their sport at the time? How many of them have also been known as being a fantastic guy? Yeah, fantastic. Hundred percent. Yeah. And I always, I. No, I was just gonna say that's that's why I always bring up the decision thing because that is the only thing that people ever got mad at him about. And we right. look at super teams now in the league, yep. and it's like they're really not not doing anything different if not worse if you look at a guy like kevin durant going out to For play sure. with the superstar hey, warriors team. watch so. it watch it <laughs> <laughs> by the way Someone i love the over the knicks too i love the insanity pick too because i'm mm. not a, I, you know i i was a basketball fan as a kid it's not mm. you know much on my radar anymore uh but that was yeah probably the last time i really sat down and watched knicks games yeah. and at that time i wasn't watching the knicks anymore and I, it was, you had to watch it. It was like appointment viewing. It was just kind of yeah. a phenomenon at the time. And then it's funny, like, you know, during the quarantine, we're obviously all watching, you know, old sports and everything. But I actually, you know, I, I haven't watched any old basketball games. I've mostly baseball, a little bit of hockey. But I tuned in for about 10 minutes of a Jeremy Lin game on, uh, oh, on MSG yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, I watched, I think, I remember watching the Kobe game. Yeah, uh, when, was, when he yeah. plays against him and just seeing Kobe Bryant progressively play more defense on Jeremy Lin throughout the game is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He earned his respect. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was a Nets fan. I mean, I still am, but my brother is a uh, Knicks <laughs> fan. Yeah. Uh, and he had, I believe, I don't think it said Lin on the back. I think it was like a shirt that said Lin Sane on the back. Like that was just what it was. Like this guy wasn't selling shirts with his name on the back. It was shirts of slogans about him on the back and just, it was a yeah. whole – it was so impressive, and uh, I think you know everyone what? remembers that. You know what, too, to tie it back to BC, first time I ever heard Jeremy Lin's name when he was playing at Harvard my senior year, Harvard wow. BC. Wow. And it was the wow. first time – it was the first time in, like, years that BC had lost to you – know, BC, they were a tournament team that year. Yeah. Uh, and they lost to Harvard. It was the first time – I can't remember in how many years, but – and Jeremy Lin had, like, you know, 
25, 30 points or something like that to beat him. Yeah, and then he goes undrafted. He signs yeah. with the Warriors and the Rockets and doesn't make it with either. Um, the Rockets for the first time, obviously, he went back there. But the Knicks give him like a 10-day deal, and it turns into that. I mean, super impressive. Uh, as a Nets fan, yeah, I'm cool with him. It didn't really do anything for the Knicks. But, I mean, brought them back on the main stage for a good time, which is good. Um, my number four, this is tough, um, but he's got to be my favorite pitcher of all time, and it's Randy Johnson. He did play for the Yankees for a little bit, but most importantly, he was so dominant, again, for the Mariners, but also Diamondbacks. Uh, the moment where he, like, kills that bird with the fastball, I just think is so, well, obviously not really impressive. He didn't, like, try to do that, but in general, just shows how strong that pitch was, how, like, big of a guy. Like, just imagine going up and trying to bat against him. I would be so scared. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. Well, that, that, so yeah, I mean, like I, I played, yeah, I played baseball growing up, you know, through high school and everything. I was right. a lefty, and that was always like when I was like, when I was growing up, like that would be like the one guy I would, if I was ever to play in the major leagues, that's the one guy. Like, no, thank you. Like, yeah, I'm sure, I, I'm sure he throws his slider. It looks like it's gonna hit you in the head, and then ends up like a foot in the foot in the half. Oh my outside. gosh! Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, I just, he, he was such an impressive player. Like, that's just the word that keeps coming up for me. Because Pedro Martinez, like, yes, he played for the Red Sox. I still respect the hell of the guy. And I think he might be the best pitcher of all time as well. Could be recency bias as well. But, it, I mean, I think Randy Johnson deserves to be in that conversation. And he definitely had the talent and skill to do so. So, number four for me. Um, yeah. My, my number four, I'm also going to go pitcher. And this is probably – as far as I'll dig back for a player. Okay. Uh, but my first favorite player was Doc Gooden. Uh, okay. Um, that was so my I, guess yeah, when so you I mean, like, in. Yeah, like, like I was, you know, I was born in 87. So like his, you know, best years were at the, you know, pretty much behind him at that point. Um, he mm -hmm. started to have, you know, issues with, with substance abuse and things right. like that uh, around then and a little bit before that. But, uh, but because he was my first player and, you know, similar to, you know, we're talking like that, those his first two years in '84 and '85. I mean, he was unreal. Like, if you ever go back and watch a game and watch like his curveball, uh, which they called Lord Charles because Uncle Charlie wasn't good enough. Uh, <laughs> like, it, I mean, it just like st starts in your head and it's straight twelve six and just drops to the bottom of the strike zone. And then you know he had you know I don't know you know how hard he threw and you know who's to say what exactly it was compared to you know radar guns these days and if they translate the same, but. But, I mean, he used to, like, he had a great high fastball to put guys away. And so he, he was my first. Like, I had a little Mets uniform, number 16, uh, when I was really little. So he, he was my first favorite player. I had the chance to meet him, uh, oh, you know, awesome. once when I was a little kid. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he's, you know, he's he's on my list, too, just because, uh, yeah, I mean, he was phenomenal and, you know, my first favorite player. And then sure. uh, swing to me again for number five. So and he I'm surprised he hadn't been picked yet because, I mean, mm. he's, he's, he's the GOAT. But I gotta go with MJ for number five. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, like I, you know, I was really into basketball when I was when I was young and in the '90s and stuff, and NBA and NBC, watching that all the time. And I mean, if you were a kid who liked basketball in the '90s, if you weren't like a Knicks fan, you loved Michael Jordan. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone's, you know, there's obviously, you know, obviously, I think since his career ended, we all kind of, you know realize that maybe he's you know, not the best guy to hang out with mm -hmm. in the world uh, <laughs> after watching the last dance and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and even for me, like the last, the last dance was cool because I was, I was, you know, I was a kid in the nineties. So like, you know, I had no sense of the things that were going on behind the scenes with, you know, 
like I, like I don't remember the tell-all book being written after the yeah, 93 yeah. season and you know but I, but I remember when he retired and went to go play baseball I had like a whole folder full of his newspaper clippings mm-hmm. um you know and things like that so I mean yeah yeah he was I mean yeah he, I think he has to be on any list of favorite players because he's yeah I, I think I think more than most sports, he's the one you can point to. Maybe for Wayne Gretzky for hockey. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of sports, it's not necessarily easy to point to one guy and say greatest of all time. You know, I know there's some debate about LeBron. My opinion, it's, it's still MJ. But, uh, but we're he's MJ one of the guys as well. Really, yeah, we're, yeah, we side with MJ, but, it, you know, it's going to be close after it's all said and done. Yeah, right. I, just, I just think the fact that, like, MJ like, – I mean, the, the never lost thing, I'm not, you know, like he went six times, yeah. LeBron's been there plenty of times. Um, but the guy just had, you know, for better or for worse, because sometimes the thing, after watching The Last Dance, like the things that he got motivated over, it's like, Ridiculous. there's no slight against you, man. Yeah. Like, but, uh, but I mean, just the fact that like he basically just willed whatever he wanted. Like once they won that for a championship, it was like from then on, if he, if he wanted something, he willed it to happen. Yeah, it, I, I would just say if it was top five athletes of all time, you know, just objectively, he's on my list. Yeah. Um, but if it's favorites, uh, for some reason, maybe because of his, you know, off the court kind of persona, he's an, and I didn't watch him growing up, so he's not yeah. a favorite of mine. But I have him as the greatest basketball player of all time. So that would that'll justify me passing up on him four times. Um, before I make my final pick, I do want to just something I thought of when you were talking about Doc Gooden and I kind of figured out a Doc Gooden plus Jeremy Lin plus Mets, Matt Harvey. What are your thoughts on Matt Harvey? Uh, it's tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was, you know, and as any Mets fan was in love with them, you know, Tom mm-hmm. Pagucci wrote the Sports Illustrated article called mm-hmm. Dark Knight and that all took yeah. off from there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, he was, you know, really at the forefront of the Mets, you know, for that couple of years in 2015 and 2016, you know, he was kind of at the start of that return to being a, you know, a, a, a solid baseball team again. Um, you know, I, I'm, yeah. And obviously there's various things, you know, that had been talked about him off the field and, you know, how great a teammate he was, you know, I think, different people, uh, you know, would tell you different things on, but yeah, I, I think I, I, I do feel bad for him in a respect. Um, I know some people think, Oh, he, whatever, you know, kind of had it coming, you know, whatever. But I will say like, I think the worst thing that ever happened to him was the Mets making that run in 2015, because if the Mets, if the Mets don't make that run, he gets shut down um, because he's yeah. coming off of Tommy John. And, you know, he, he has his first year back from Tommy John, like every other player does. I mean, you look at the nationals in 2012, they made the opposite decision. They said, yeah. Steven Strasburg, sit down. Like, we're not, you know, we're, we're, you know, we want you for the future. We're not worried about this year. Uh, which at the time, I was like, boy, that's tough to do. Because yeah. you have a shot to win. You have a shot to win. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I don't, I mean, I don't blame the Mets for having them pitch in 2015. And I don't blame, I mean, that's what you play for. I mean, you know, there was, I know, discussion at one point about, RV thinking about shutting it down and he got kind of ridiculed for that. But, you know, I give him a lot of credit for the fact that he, uh, you know, you, you, people might say he's a bad teammate, but he risks his health to, you know, for that 2015 run. And that, I mean, in my mind, that ended up destroying him, uh, mm-hmm. frankly, is, you know, yeah. so, so, you know, as much, as many bad things that people have had to say about him, it's tough for me. I mean, the guy, you know, and he was great in the postseason that year. Uh, yeah. So it's tough for me to really say anything bad about him. It's just, and you know, his career went that way, unfortunately, because I think it was just bad luck and bad timing for him that, you know, the, the time the team needed him the most and for him to be at his best. Uh, and he was great. 
uh, you know, it was at a time where he probably should have been resting his arm and his elbow and shoulder and things like that. And yeah. Taking a toll on him. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and again, as a Yankees fan, meh, but as just a sports fan, he would have been awesome to have. Uh, well, a few, still, a, few, yeah. a few years ago, the Yankees were going to sign him in free agency. and that was Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's always a rumor, isn't it? But uh, yeah. Um, my final player, I feel like is a similar pick to Doc Gooden for you because he's not known as the best uh, off the field. Uh, he's a good guy, seemingly, but a uh, cheater, people will say. But my favorite player of all time, I thought I could save him for this pick, but just young me, Yankees fan, it's Alex Rodriguez. Um, and third former Mariner. That's not – that's such a coincidence. But uh, wild, interestingly actually. enough, <laughs> they all played together for a little bit, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, A-Rod – I can say a lot. I'll just leave it at, like, he was so much fun to watch um, playing third base with Jeter, like uh, Jack took in the first round. But for me, A-Rod was always my favorite. Maybe, again, for the power, you know, just such a superstar. And there were rumors, you know, always that he was a cheater. For, like, a year when that came out, I hated him. Um, But I just had to go back to being such a big fan and in an era where, Sadly, A-Rod was not the only person taking steroids, and that doesn't justify it. But as a whole, I think for what he did, for me as a baseball fan, I, I wanted to play like him. So uh, definitely picking him. Glad to have him on my list. Uh, didn't know if he'd be here, but going up against a Mets fan and a Derek Jeter guy, I thought I had a chance. So, yeah. And then, Jack, your final pick of the draft, so we can wrap this up. What do you got? All right. I think that – since you got the other Manning brother, I'm going to go with okay. Peyton. And, sure. you know, Peyton Manning for me, on the field, awesome player. That last Super Bowl he was in, he really didn't do much that season. Um, but still, seeing him win that final ring for me was incredible. And, mm-hmm. you know, what he's done to this day um, with commercials and everything and still being in the public eye, even the match the other weekend was incredibly yeah. entertaining with him there. Uh, I love Peyton Manning. He's just an awesome guy. He is. I mean, both of those guys and Archie as well, just a great family. And Arch Manning, who is Cooper Manning's son, oh, we'll, so excited we'll probably see soon. <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting yeah. there. Um, Tim, we know you uh, are busy uh, with everything you got going on, but thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. We had a blast. We hope you did too, even through all the technical difficulties we might have had. But uh, yeah, thanks so much <laughs> for spending the time with us. Yeah. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Always happy to talk sports, always happy to talk BC. So anytime. I'm telling you, it's a great combo, you know. It's it a, is. It really doesn't is. get much better. <laughs> Can't beat it, yeah. Really but yeah, is. thank you so much. Um, have a great rest of your day, and we'll uh, keep in touch for sure. Thank you again. All right, guys, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Later. Tell you.